the looking at the personality of Satan we believe that the devil Satan is a personal evil spirit formerly a holy angel from which estate he fell by transgression. Drawing with him a host of angels as their leader, being prince of the power of the darkness of this world, that he is the enemy of God and he is the tempter that's where we begin this afternoon study is that he is the tempter turn with me to the book of Genesis Book of Genesis and chapter 3, and probably is the most logical place, or at least the book of beginning, where we see that God has created man, male and female he created a garden for man and set him in the midst of that garden to be the keeper thereof and we find here in the third chapter one day, Satan, the devil, comes along, and he does what is his nature to do. Begin reading with me in verse 1 of chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. In verse 1, now the was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest you die. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. 
For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The serpent, a snake. Have any of you had a serpent or a snake come up to you and tempt you? You might say, the only thing I'd be tempted to do is kill it. <laughs> it's a snake. Never have been good at distinguishing the head of a non-poisonous snake and the head of a poisonous snake. And let that be as it may. We've not experienced a snake coming up and speaking to us and tempting us in any way, shape, or form. What I think most likely is the case in the scenario as we look at other scriptures and compare other scriptures is Satan has the ability along with the angels that follow him, the demons that, as they are called now that follow him, the ability to possess a body. And I think that's probably what we saw here. But nonetheless, it's Satan. Satan, the devil. And we find him tempting the woman as he tempts us, tries to be an influence to tempt us, whether it be he himself or whether it be his demons, his angels that have followed him. We find first of all in verse 1 that he tries to put doubt, doubt concerning the Word of God. And this really resonates with, with me because I encounter all-time arguments concerning the Word of God. Well, you don't know what it was then. What is that that is going to create doubt over a certain passage of Scripture, instead of reading the Word of God, 
And, and this is what the Word of God says. I, I go back to refer to Brother France. I mean, Brother France was matter of fact. Well, this is what the Word of God says. It says. And you don't you don't question it. <laughs> Satan Satan tries to get you to doubt. Doubt passages of the scripture. Doubt the word of God. Doubt that that's really what it's saying. Well, you don't know about that day and time and the practice then and what it was then. No, but I know what the word of God says. Also, the next thing we find him doing is denying the Word of God. Even he, he, he tries to pre, uh, present a questioning, a, a doubt concerning the Word of God. And then in verse 4, we see, we see that he, he just utterly denies the word of God. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. I mean, that's just a flat denial of what God said. And then in verse 5, we find them not just denying the word, the word of God, but you might as well go ahead and deny God. And then what he did in verse 5? For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, you, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. In other words, God no, no different than you are. He's been flatly denying God, period. He's the great tempter. He's more subtle than anything man had encountered and encounters. He has, the Word of God tells us, he has many vices. He has many devices that he uses to try to tempt us Sin. I want you to think about it. Tempting one to sin. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew in chapter 4. And we find that this is one of the names even that is given unto Satan. One of his names. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3. And when the tempter Satan and when the tempter came to him he said if thou be the son of God command that these stones be the tempter Satan. <laughs> Here he's just flatly called tempter. 
You know what's interesting? If you take the Greek word and you have a Strong's concordance in the Greek section, look up the number 3985. Strong's number 3985 of your Greek concordance. And just read all the passages about tempt, tempter, tempting. And a large portion of them are given, are used in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And guess in who regards they're being used concerning? The Pharisees and the scribes, and they're trying to tempt Jesus. What does that say, say about someone who is trying to tempt another individual with evil? You're doing the work of Satan. You're doing the work of Satan. And is he your father? If he's not your father, as Jesus told the scribes and the Pharisees in John chapter 8, verse 44, they were of their father the devil. And the deeds of your father you will do. And one of the deeds of Satan, one of his primary names is the temple. Have you ever, have you ever tried to get someone to do something that you knew was wrong, that you knew was wrong, and you said, oh, just this one time won't hurt a thing. Just this once. That's the word of Satan. Tempting. So he is the tempter. And he tempts us. And I as I, as I see a large, large movement movement among those professing to be saved folks. Questioning us on passages of Scripture, doubting passages of Scripture. Satan's work is being accomplished. He's even getting Christians. Without passages of scripture. Is it any wonder that we don't find that, that we find people in our churches today that are are leaving? Not necessarily leaving our churches, but but well in that too. Some are leaving our churches 
and going to other churches that are not of like faith and practice. Because they've questioned, because they've called into question the Word of God. Because they call into question the Word of God concerning separation and holiness and living lives thereunto. Because the Word of God, after all, is not black and white anymore. There are areas that we just don't know about, we just don't understand. That's a, that's a vice of Satan. Satan's influence is real. We ought not to take it lightly. We need to get back to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? This is what the Word of God says. That's the end of matter. There's no more discussion on it. Well, moving on. <laughs> not only is he the tempter, not only will he tempt me, not only will he tempt, tempt you, but he will accuse us, the brethren, saints. He accuses the saints before the Father. He's our accuser. Well, you all know where this passage of Scripture goes to. Chapter 1. And I want to read a few verses here in Job to kind of build up and set the stage for the scene that we have of Satan coming before the Father, before God, as Job's accuser. Look with me at Job chapter 1 and verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright. And one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him. Pay attention to this. And there were born unto him, unto Job, seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 100 she-asses and a very great household. Well, having that kind of substance, you can imagine that he had to have a great number of servants. 
in his household to help tend to that great substance so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. And his sons went and feasted in the house houses every one his day. Hmm. And sat and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. In other words, they were partying animals in today's language. <laughs> they were partying. They were rioting. Riding in the scripture don't mean a street ride. It means partying them. And it was so when the days of feasting was gone about that Job sent and sanctified them. He consecrated his sons and his daughters he, he set them apart he set them apart on God here is the reason of his setting them apart on God and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continue. He had a heart that was heavy for his children when he, when he viewed their lifestyle, when he viewed their life's manner and their partying and for fear that they curse God weren't honorable unto God and that they sin in this doings that of theirs he set them apart unto God by sacrificing burnt off unto God for them for each one of them Continually. <laughs> now, verse 6. That's, all this has set the stage for the scene of Satan before God. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? Perfect. An upright man, one that feareth God 
and escheweth evil. Notice Satan's reply. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Does Job serve God? Does he serve the Lord for no reason? For nothing? He's accusing Job. He's accusing Job of serving God for gain. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen. Was it 500 she asses? Seven sons, three daughters. Oh, Job was a blessed man. God had prospered Job greatly. And Satan's accusing him of only serving the Lord for gain. For what he give for? Has not thou made in heads about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands. See, here it is. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath. He will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, that he hath is in thy power only upon himself put not forth thine hand so Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord ha! I'm going to go wipe Job out I'm going to clean out all his stuff And he did. And he did. You go on down in that chapter. Uh, didn't mark it down. Verse 20, then Job arose and rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this
He had everything. And then he had nothing. And in all his loss, in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. But Satan was his accuser. Oh God, he's just he's just serving you for gain. Look how look how you've blessed him. Any man would keep on serving you. Bless him that way. And in that manner. But in all this, Job sinned not. Well, so Satan's got to try again. Because sin wasn't successful. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. In other words, Satan's accusing him. Lord, Lord, you touch his body. You afflict his body. You afflict him with, with swords or some dreaded disease. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he'll curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he's in thine hand, but save his life. So, went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. You see, Satan is our accuser. He's accuser of the saints. He accuses us 
before the Father, before the Lord. Do you ever think that the sum of the trials that you have in life, maybe because Satan has accused you before the Father, and so the Father has just given him leeway to do with you to a certain point to prove you're saying to prove to yourself that you might come forward tried as gold and as silver shining more brightly in the presence of the Father, proving to Satan that God's people love him and serve him because of love. Book of Revelation, Book of Revelation, chapter 12. It labels for us gives for us another one of Satan's names here in the book of Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 I heard a loud voice saying in heaven now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser, the accuser, our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. <laughs> not not necessarily, not meaning day and night, just a you to the Father, but day and night accusing various people of the Lord, various ones of His children, God's children, before Him. So Satan is our accuser. He tempts us to sin, He accuses us before the Father, bringing Trials, tribulations upon us. Satan not only is the tempter and accuser of the saints, but he is the possessor of the power of death. He possesses the power of death. Turn with me to the book of of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews in chapter 2. Look with me here in verse 14 and 15. For as much then 
as the children, children of God, are partakers of flesh and blood, he also, Christ, he also himself likewise took part of the same, took part of flesh and blood. That through death, through his death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Christ came, took flesh and blood, that he might, by flesh and blood, destroy, be victorious over be victorious over Satan and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. All of our lifetime. We were subject to bondage, subject to bondage and sin, being is it slaves of sin, yielding to sin. We Think back as an unsaved man, an unsaved boy, an unsaved girl. You fear death. Death was to be feared. For dying in that condition would be to suffer an eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. Being tormented forever and ever. But Christ came To accomplish victory, victory over death, victory over Satan, and victory over Satan, he gained victory over death. Turn with me, Corinthians. I don't have this in my notes, but I just feel like this is a good place to bring it in. First Corinthians chapter 15, we might bring it in again later, down the road. Verse 53 of First Corinthians 15, for this corruptible that's what these bodies are. They're corruptible bodies. They're, we 
man came forth from the ground, from the dust of the ground, and back to dust, thou shalt return. Corruption. For this corruptible body must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Listen, we are assured of this corruptible putting on incorruption, of this mortal putting on immortality. We are assured of it. By what reason are we assured of it? The first part of chapter 15, talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If He be not raised, then we are, are of all men most miserable. But He is risen from the grave. And because He is risen, we too shall rise. That is, these mortal bodies are going to be laid in the ground. These corruptible bodies are going to be laid in the ground. But one day, in the twinkling of an eye, we didn't read that, but in the twinkling of an eye, Christ is coming back to take us. And when he comes back, our bodies are going to be resurrected. This, this is corruptible. It was laid in the ground corruptible. It was laid in the ground corruptible. But it's going to come forth in immortality. It's going to come forth in incorruption because Christ came forth. We promised that. We're assured of that because Christ did. We too shall rise again. He was victorious over death because he our first was victorious over death. We shall be too. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory, giveth us Victory, the victory over sin, over death, over the grave, over Satan, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 25. In verse 41. Then shall he say also unto them on hand. Not a good place to be. I agree with Brother Pratt. Not just in politics. I'd rather be on the right than on the left. I'd rather be on the right than on the left. For those on the left, he says, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, 
prepared for the devil and his angels. That is death. It was prepared for the devil and his angels and all those that will, will not repent of their sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ shall follow the devil and his angels into everlasting fire. So he is the possessor of the power of death. Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter one. Picks a fine time to act up. Second Timothy chapter one, verse ten. Brother Mike, you got it? You want to read it for us? the light through the gospel. Jesus Christ has done that for us. Hosea, this will be the last one. We'll have to close with Hosea chapter 13. And verse 14. Hosea 13, 14. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. Power of death. Power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. <laughs> I like that, don't you? O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Praise God. I have the victory over death in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, you have the victory over death. Maybe not the physical death. Even then, it's victory because you live. It's, you know, the physical death is not the end of it as some would have you to believe. Your spirit goes to God. Your soul goes upwards to God and continues to live. And goes to God and lives in His presence. One day, it's going to be reunited with a body. With a body fitted 
for everlasting life with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. Jesus Christ is the one that we look to to claim that promise because he died. Yes, he died. The physical death, flesh and blood. But he rose again from the grave. He rose again for my justification. He rose again that I might be forgiven my sins. He rose again that I might too rise again with him. This corruptible must put on incorruption. This must put on immortality. And Christ assures me of that great truth. Well, we need to close this.